tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? So what exactly did you think of the movies this holiday season? Not just like uh, the Oscar and award contenders, but like just the, the movies that came out. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the big things that was prevalent, I would have to say, uh, especially since we're getting these reports of, you know, all-time low year for ticket sales, movie ticket sales, uh, is the fact that, you know, we had original movies out on uh, our streaming services that, you know, people didn't go to the theater to watch. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, you know, certainly I'm going to play a big a big role in it. And, you know, of course, people are getting entertainment through more and more different types of, of platforms now than they ever have in the past. You know, I mean, YouTube and Vimeo and uh, things like Twitch and Ustream and... Uh, all, all those different, um, even Periscope, I guess, really, for that matter, too. I mean, there's probably a certain amount of people that tune in to just watch stuff on Periscope and are, you know, and, and I'm guilty of that, too. I, I honestly, I find more and more of my entertainment is uh, visual entertainment, at least, is actually coming from Twitch. And so, uh, yeah, I could definitely see how that would have an impact on, um, you know, on the overall level of of performance for a lot of films and and theaters and box offices and things like that um you know and then i've also been really busy as well uh, with you know work and school and that sort of stuff so i mean to be fair i don't think i watched or have the time to watch nearly as many films in the theater as i as i had previously uh or in, in past years and and so um i think there was still a good amount of of really honestly i think that this season and 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 not just or this year and and the oscar seasons in general um put out some really really good content films um a lot of which i still have yet to see but i was very interested in seeing it and especially interested in seeing after the golden globe which we of course talked about last week um but, but there was a lot of movies that i and shows too i think that i had kind of heard about um recently both because of the golden globes and, and other things like that that i'm adding to my list and it's expanding and growing very rapidly so i need to get caught up on that <laughs> in, a, in a very big way yeah no uh but what about uh, what about you no i like uh well if uh anybody that follows me on twitter through because of this show or our, our other podcast uh i kind of put out a whole giant list of the things that i got to watch this winter break i guess is the best way to put it I don't, i'm not i don't go to school but it was like a a break from work so to speak um yeah bright was definitely one of the movies that i i saw it was netflix's big big budget original movie that they did and uh uh i thought that that was i i i honestly didn't think i didn't understand why it had so much backlash like let's see what was that was that christmas weekend that that came out or just before christmas? uh yeah december december 22nd i want to say yeah uh, somewhere around maybe yeah somewhere around that ballpark if if not that day specifically no i mean i i might have to say that i might be in the minority uh just for the what kind of movies and stuff i enjoy but i was you know one of the masses that went and saw uh, the last Jedi in theaters and I was highly disappointed. So watching this movie at home, it might not have been the best thing, but uh, I felt like the fact that it was in the comfort of my home, it wasn't something I needed to go drive and find a parking spot for definitely adds to it. Um, I, 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 I still have to say I, I do. En- I did enjoy the characters and I enjoyed like the 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 world that it was building and setting up and then the tropes that they were that you normally get in a not only high fantasy film but a cop uh 
cop drama, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, I thought they were played with. So I really enjoyed this movie and uh, I am looking forward to the sequel that they have announced that they are going to make. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing was, is, you know, obviously, you know, you hear this stuff about Netflix and and exclusive programming for television or, you know, series. I have a hard time calling it traditional television anymore, but for streaming series and just that sort of stuff has really exponentially grown. I mean, Apple uh, fairly recently ha- had announced that they had two um, brand new science fiction series that were going to be exclusive to just Apple in the works. And uh, one of them was being kind of helmed by um, the guy who like were one of the main guys of uh, Battlestar Galactica. So, I mean, the, you know, the, these sorts of things have, have really blown up. And then, of course, you know, the exclusive movies, we're starting to see those take off more and more with, you know, Amazon, of course, uh, getting nominated for an Academy Award with Manchester by the uh, sea. Right. And, uh, you know, certainly Netflix has had their hand in the, in the, in the race for quite a while with, you know, the stuff we talked about last week, which beast of no nation, or maybe it was the week before, whichever it was. Um, but like beast of no nation. And, um, I think there was a point where I actually said beast of no nation. And then I think the second time I said it, I said birth of a nation. <sighs> so if I did that, uh, this is, <laughs> this is the correction for that, obviously. Uh, but this movie, you know, it, it, I remember seeing the trailers for it and thinking, Oh boy. Um, I, I really want to like this, but is this concept something that the masses are, are going to work? Is this going to be something that, you know, we would call a little bit more, um, I'm trying to think of the appropriate term here for it, but uh, commercial, there you go. Uh, you know, is this going to be more of a, a commercial film that uh, people on Netflix ultimately are, are going to want to, uh, and, uh, you know, I think the estimated budget was around $90 million, uh, which is you know, it's pretty doggone good. You know, it's a very good budget, I would say. Um but yeah, so I, I was very intrigued by kind of this sort of buddy cop type of of thing, which I have a hard time even uh, you know calling it that because it's a when I think of buddy cop to me that kind of instantly makes me think of of humor, which of course Will Smith for the most part would make people think of of humor, and this movie has those moments but i would not particularly constitute this movie as a comedy would you no no i wouldn't say this is a comedy at all um i mean i would put it as a cop thriller i mean of anything if i was going to put it near something you know like in the vein of in to watch or training day which both happen to be from david Ayer, uh the director and writer of this well not writer director of this one uh, Max Landis wrote this movie, but I get, yeah, I mean, you have training day and then did, he also did uh watch, right? Yeah. He, he directed, or he wrote and directed end of watch. He only wrote training day. Uh, but obviously he's got a certain style and a certain voice. Uh, so it, it would make sense that this movie would, uh, have reflections of those ones. Right, and, and and speaking of the writing, uh, I, you know, it's kind of a, I guess, a, a really good segue that you kind of uh, happenstancely walked into there for me. Uh, um, is this was, of course, written by Max Landis, who I am, I, me particularly, I'm not a very big fan of his or his work or how he tends to uh, conduct himself, seemingly at least on on his social media and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned that David Ayer has kind of this history of being a writer-director. I think he's I think he's written like maybe 13 or maybe 13 or 14 films, uh, David Ayer, I believe. So mm-hmm. somewhere in that ballpark, probably. And um, it, it just feels like when you're watching Bright, at least to me, and I, I'm curious to see what your thoughts on this were or if you had this kind of same um, thing happen to you. But while I was watching it, there's all these moments that are very much to me, David Ayer moments. And on the opposite side, there are also these moments that are very 
what I would say is Max Landis moments. And it almost feels like water and oil. And, and it feels like those moments don't go together well. And it also felt... And I don't know if any of this is true. This is just me making a huge assumption. But it also felt like maybe there was tension between the two of them or, uh, you know, conflict or something that really kind of didn't allow this movie to be everything that it could have been, which I also think is maybe why Bright 2 uh, has David Ayer coming back, Joel Edgerton and Will Smith, from what I have heard, has signed on. And uh, what I read um, was that they had dropped Max Landis. So I'm very curious if if that might have played some sort of, of thing in this movie. But did you have that type of, of feeling while you were watching this at all? So I have to say that... Um... And there will be a disclaimer here after I get done what I have to say. I actually do. I, I love David Ayer. I love his movies uh, other than Suicide Squad. But I really don't feel that was his fault. But um, and I also really, really enjoy Max Landis movies. And I get what you're saying about the whole water and oil. And I, in this movie, the, the concept of this movie definitely feels like a Max Landis thing. If you watch some of his YouTube videos where... He throws out pitches for ideas. You can you can you can see the inner workings of this movie of uh, you know Lord of the Rings meets uh, Training Day, and I, I you definitely get that. And uh, you know a lot of people have made the the uh, the comparison to Alien Nation that this is also very similar to, where it's aliens mm -hmm. and humans uh, working together on the police force. Now. Uh, Yes, it has been announced, and well, yes, Max Landis, by all means and by all accounts from a lot of people, is a douche. He's very much a person that. <laughs> I thought you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought you were gonna say it's been announced that Max Landis oh. is a douche. No, I kind of changed. You, you altered course there. Yeah, so I altered course that was there. Great. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people come, has come out and said that he's not a good guy. Now, also very recently, he has fallen uh, as the one of the, I don't want to say victim because he's not a victim. Uh, he has come out, or people have come out and said that he is a, alleged that he is a uh, sexual, he has done sexual misconduct against other people, uh, people on his sets and stuff like that. He, he, you know, the, the Mahari Weinstein effect that's going through Hollywood right now, which is great. You know, we need people that are uh, vile and terrible like this to be exposed and run out of the business so that it can be a, a, a great environment for everybody. Uh, that was, ex uh, what's the word, it exposed? Uh, just before they announced training or not training day, but bright two, and I assume that's why Max Landis isn't returning. Ah, oh, not necessarily because I him and David Ayer that. did did not uh, mesh well. Um, but then again, I don't know. I, I I could be I could be making huge assumptions as well. But it, it does seem that everybody that has been has been brought to the light of day um, for their terrible actions has been ostracized. From the business, I mean, look at Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein, and the list goes on. So, it's yeah, it wasn't too far fetched for me to make the assumption that he wasn't a part of Bright Two because of those reasons, which is fine. Uh, I like I said, I love David Ayer and I love his work, so I think he'll he'll do a great job of of writing that script and directing it. One of the things that I, I, I wanted to say about the first movie, though, uh, with the whole water and oil uh, formula that you, you said, it's one of the things that mm -hmm. I kind of liked about the movie, that the fact that you have orcs and fairies and elves and they're all in modern day and existing coexisting with humans and stuff, it doesn't feel natural and it doesn't mesh well. And I think that's what I, I think that's what you were supposed to feel. Uh, I, I really feel like that's what they were they were the, the the feeling they were going for. 
Yeah, I, I meant uh, my water and oil comment was a little bit more geared towards uh, Ayer and, and Landis more so than the the uh, the film itself. But uh, I do agree with you. It, it is a it is a juxtaposition, and uh, I think it's a I think it's an interesting one, and I think it does work well for the film in and of itself, right? To have kind of this meets kind of uh, gritty reality type of, of film, and I think it does. I think it does actually work well when it works in the movie. I just think there's components to the movie that the two of them as creatives don't align and don't mesh well. And I think the movie suffers a little bit for it because I want to say maybe the last 30, last 30 minutes or so are where it's, um, for me, at least, it, it it became kind of this situation of walking a very thin line of, of jumping the shark. And I don't think it quite ever got there for me, but it came dangerously, dangerously close. Like, to me, the, the film of establishing this, this new world, this new high fantasy, gritty reality world, um, was super fascinating. The story and struggle of Jacoby to be this kind of outcasted orc uh, also from humans which of course we discovered that the orcs are also outcasted by all the other races because of this war that happened over 2000 years ago um, and, and you know and, and having all these different races of, of you know humans elves orcs fairies all that sort of stuff it creates a very interesting uh, geopolitical type of environment within the film that is also obviously very social commentary driven on on the politics of our own current world Um and so like it was a it was a very refreshing approach to kind of talk about all of these different racial topics and and uh, economic classes and things like that. And so those are all of the elements that I really, really enjoyed about this movie because I thought, well, well, here's a very interesting approach to taking those very traditional fantasy uh, events and tropes and merging it with a, a new, type of uh, environment of, of humanity and I, I thought that those elements were, were very fascinating and I think I would have liked it more if it would have stayed kind of along those lines but that last you know 30 minutes or whatever it is 30 maybe it's less maybe it's 25 maybe it's the other direction too I don't know exactly but something in that last kind of third act just to me didn't really it didn't blend itself well with the rest of the movie. And I think it detracts from kind of what the start of the movie had, had started going down, but that's also, again, a, a very interesting thing to this movie in, in, in general is that this film also doesn't feel necessarily like a movie. It's almost as if Netflix and all of them knew right away, Hey, this is going to become a new franchise that we're going to do. Uh, don't make it self-contained. Uh, don't worry about, you know, answering all these questions when you're posing all of these different rules to this universe, uh, because we've got another two films, you know, to to kind of come back to those and address those. And I feel like that in and of itself also for me hurts the film. Like, I really feel if they would have maybe done this as a, a limited series of six to eight hour long episodes and released that on Netflix, that could have been even better than, you know two or three two hour movies but what about you i mean i think that's one of the things that worked well for me in the movie um the fact that it really felt like a, a just a, a slice of life for these characters like it was the day two days eh, two days at the most of you know uh what they the two of them have to go through as uh one being an orc on the police force and two the partner two the the, fir the first orc on the police force i just the world that they were building and i understand what you're saying about like the unanswered questions that they bring up and yeah m maybe they were like always had the plan to do uh, a series for these movie i mean you have a really big star in will smith and uh joel edgerton too in his in his own right so mm -hmm. yeah I, I i wouldn't see why not plan on a sequel but I really feel like if they hadn't gone on to a gone on for another movie, I would have I would have felt content with what I was shown in the first movie. 
like, uh, you know, I don't know how to put it. Uh, I, I wouldn't have felt like I was being left, uh, wide open for unanswered stuff. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. It's just like, for me, this just feels like a $90 million pilot to a new, you know, show. It, it doesn't feel, um, like a self-contained film to me. And, you know, and I, I think they could have gone that route. I mean, they certainly, actors are certainly, you know, taking on larger and larger, uh, series and and exclusive series are paying out tremendous amounts of money to lockdown top acting talent. So I don't, I really don't think that would have been an issue, uh, particularly for Netflix or Will Smith or any of them either. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting that they chose the path that they did. But and I, I, you know, I enjoyed the movie. I still liked it. I I've watched it uh, twice. I, I, I do actually want to watch it again because the, the first two viewing experiences I had of it weren't exactly what I would constitute as optimal. Um, so, you know, I definitely want to give it another sit down and, and a true dedicated watch through that is appropriate in my eyes to, to really buckle down. But like for, for an example, I'm just trying to think of what, and I guess spoiler warning for anybody that hasn't potentially seen this at this point, but there's like this whole this is just one example that I could think of. There's this whole story that's happening. Well, I guess I could give you two. Uh, there's this whole story with like Edgar Ramirez, um, his character in the film, which I, for the life of me, can't think of what it is, but he's basically like a federal. He's an FBI uh, agent, agent, but he's, deals. he's also a, uh, uh, an elf. He, right. He's an elf. And, and the FBI agents essentially deal with crime. Uh, is is kind of what they allude to is that there's this whole specific division of the FBI that's like magic crime division, uh, so to speak. Right, and there's obviously even so, with the 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 fantasy races that exist in the in this new world, there is a hierarchy of those too, where fairies are pretty much uh, just the equivalent of animals, birds, or whatever you want to say. I mean, they don't really have uh, this, they don't or at least aren't shown to have the same rights as uh, the other mythological creatures, orcs are, uh, very much hated. They're, you know, kind of, a, a slave class that have risen to get their own, uh, civil rights. And then elves are the high class. They're, they're super rich. They have the best magic. They, you know, control a lot of other things. So it's, it's, that's just a, a good setup, but it, I, I don't, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, not at all. And I think I think it thank you for for actually breaking that down, because I think it is, you know, if, if you're listening and spoilers don't bother you and you haven't seen the movie, it is good to also have that information. And I think, you know, you're 100 you're percent right. The fairies very clearly don't have any rights. I mean, we we get Will Smith uh, murdering a fairy and he very blatantly says fairy lives don't matter today. Um but what I was what I was getting at is is with Edgar Ramirez's character as this agent, they start establishing all this stuff that he's been on the trail of this other bright, which bright is basically a entity that is capable of doing magic. Mm-hmm. Um, on this bright's trail, I think I believe he said it was like twenty or twenty-two years that he's been tracking her and hunting her and all that sort of stuff. And yet that story arc and storyline doesn't really go anywhere. Like it's almost like you could remove the entire thing of the feds and just have the little sequence at the end where the feds show up and they have that whole exchange. Almost everything else in the movie you could remove them from. And I, I don't know that it would have a very large impact on the overall story. Um, so t like things like that. Uh, and, and the other one is the, the sword wielding guy. That's part of the circle of lighter or, uh, whatever that's called, which is basically a group of, uh, I don't know if they're magic users. It's kind of alluded to that. Maybe they're magic users or, or something to that effect, but he's, you know, they get this call and, and, and of Jacobian and, and, um, ward go out there to 
see what's going on. And this guy's in the street with a giant, uh, I guess it's like a broadsword, right? He's got this like broadsword that he's like wielding around and he's like spouting all of this weird like propaganda about like, you know, magic and the end of times and all this sort of stuff. And they arrest him. And then while in the car, he's telling Jacoby that basically Will Smith is like the chosen one that he's like got some sort of ability and power and all that sort of stuff. And that the two of them are kind of going to fulfill this like prophecy together. And again, like that whole thing just felt like very contrived because like that it's almost just too on the nose. And then the FBI is kind of interviewing him and he's kind of very standoffish with them, but then their goals are kind of the same thing. So I, I don't know. There's just all these little like fragmented moments that, if it was a series and if they had because because let's face it right like i think anytime you are taking on creating this type of of fantasy science fiction world of this magnitude there's a lot of time that you're going to lose by setting up the rules of this universe and that's where i think hey if they had been able to do this as a series versus just a, a self-contained 120 minute movie or whatever it was that it would have placated out better for everyone involved even us as viewers but uh, you know that's just kind of my take on it you know and I, I i get exactly what you're saying i i see the the seams as well i just have to say that like I mean, I, I think the the gentleman swinging the broadsword is obviously like uh, you know, they're they're supposed to represent like a Templar Knights kind of thing. They're they're the ones that are the keepers of the prophecy. If you were to watch this movie and it was set in a Middle Ages type setting, like all these same things would happen. It just seems it seems off putting because of the modern day setting and the, the fact that these are cops instead of. Uh, you know, nights that uh, Will Smith and Joy Edgerton are playing. I just think that when the, the parts when they're like, uh, Joel, uh, Joel Edgerton's character, Jacoby, is saying, uh, you know, we're, I think we're in a prophecy. Like, I think it, it, it just calls out to it in a meta way that really makes me enjoy the movie more and that's just my preference i understand that that like certain um writing styles make no it... no i mean I, and i'm totally I, I i'm totally fine with that it's it's just the way i think it's the way in which it happens not so much the environment as to how it happens it's just the fact that it's like so can it, like it's just so coincidentally contrived like oh they were the ones that went on this call you know, to get this guy who but, like there was no organic way to put these characters <laughs> in the same room to have that conversation any other way. Like, that's what I mean. Like, I, I wasn't taken out of the movie being like, oh, my gosh, like this guy is talking to an orc and a cop. And then and I even agree with you that that bit of dialogue is pretty hilarious because Jacoby is like, I think we might be in a prophecy. He's like, we're not in a prophecy. All right. He's like, well, how do you know? And he's like, because we're in a stolen Toyota Corolla. <laughs> like. You know what I mean? Like that, even like that moment's like pretty hilarious when they are talking about like the prophecy and they're playing with the tropes of it. But it's just the reveal to that becomes very contrived in this movie to me, at least. Yeah, and I, I get that. I just, I, 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 I guess I just, have, I mean, I just have to say that it didn't, it didn't bother me as much as it's it as the way that you're putting it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you obviously you've already stated you, you did like the movie. You, you did enjoy it. It's just, I did. Yeah, I really did. Um, do you, th well, let me ask you this. Cause I think this might be kind of an interesting question too, uh, because you, you know, and, and maybe it's a little bit more challenging or difficult for you to answer this since it didn't uh, have the same impact on you as it did me. But do you think there's a way that they could have done this differently because I'm just I'm just thinking like I can't be the only person that feels this way about watching this movie. So I'm just curious, like, do you think there's a way that maybe they could have approached it in which that wouldn't have happened? Like maybe there's a way to ease people into this type of thing more. Like I, I don't know. I'm just curious if you think there's a way to maybe they could have 
also pulled in that other, let's just say half for the lack of statistical data. But if you look at the other half of, of audiences that potentially felt the same way I did, you think there's a way they could have also brought them in without that being the case? Um, I'm sure there could have been, I mean, they, you know, a much smarter writer than I probably could have done it. You, you make it so that, so that, everything doesn't feel like a coincidence but then you, the pieces kind of fall together at the end making it seem seamless which would have been which would have been great that would have been the perfect way to to make that movie or not like like i said i i loved the parts of this movie that that kind of um have the this like mirror of 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 another type of movie like if like I, I just want to say, like if I was watching this movie and it was it was set in in Westeros in the Game of Thrones, you know, like it would have been, I feel like a lot of the same things would have popped up. You would have had a guy swinging a sword, and you know, two guys come up to him because he w- they were sent there to stop him and stuff like that. It, it just to me, it just it came out that much more enjoyable scene is how it was a, it was said in modern times. I mean, and I, I understand that's not the problem that you're having. I just think that that's the, I think that was the best way to do it. Or at least that's how I see it right now. No. Yeah. I think and that makes sense. Um, and, and obviously it, it resonated, I think with you, the way that, you know, the, hopefully the filmmaker, or the way that the filmmakers kind of, I think hoped it, it would. So I think that's, um, I think that's definitely good, and and I would I, you know I would say I think that's probably the case for a, a lot of people that watch this because and that's just what I mean. Like at first I was when I first saw the trailer, I was very I was very on board for this movie even from the first trailer. But I did have that kind of in the back of my mind where I'm like, well, how are they going? Because there's there is a good deal of people that really are not into fantasy like fiction or you know what i mean whether it's novels or video games or but film it, i don't think the medium really matters i just think there's a lot of people that inherently are not into that so i think this is a very cool um i would even say potentially a risk for netflix to take this and and do this knowing that hey this is gonna probably abandon a good deal of people right out of the gate but yet they still went ahead and and put a decent budget into it got some very talented people to work on this very skilled filmmakers and actors and all that sort of like thing involved so i i really do have to commend them for that and and i think obviously it's it must have lived up to whatever expectation they wanted to if they're moving forward with a sequel it it had to have done you know and it's difficult too with netflix because there is no real you know unless all of a sudden they they saw this like huge exponential spike in subscribers the same day that bright came out it, it really wanna, isn't about money for them well it's i want to talk about, about having content i want to talk about that so well one before before i move on to it is yeah. the the i don't i i understand what you're saying about the whole not having an audience for a high fantasy and stuff like that however I think that right now is the best time to make a movie like this because of things like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is one of the you know high, most watched and most downloaded shows on television right now. Uh, Amazon just bought um, the rights to Lord of the Rings for like an obscene amount of money to make that t- TV show. So I think they they struck while the the pot is hot, if if that's a, a, a saying or not, but. Why the iron is hot? Iron, iron is hot. That's what it's called. Hot. Yeah. Um, however, Deadline reported after the weekend or the week after uh, it came out that Nielsen recorded that 11 million U.S. viewers in the first three days of Net- of Bright watched it on Netflix. Now, the idea is that you know there is no the idea that we we've known for the longest time is that Netflix doesn't put their numbers out there and there's no uh, rating or something like that but apparently uh let's see the movie is skewing younger so far on the demo side bright's first three days drew an average minute crowd of 3.9 million viewers ages 18 to 34 and 7 million in 18 to 49 the gender split was was 56 percent male so i mean that's a lot of viewers 
for uh for something that's you know not necessarily recorded is the way i guess a way to put it yeah i i i well and i i want to reiterate i i don't want to like make it like led to believe that i don't think there's an audience i i do think there's an audience but i just what i'm saying is is i think the moment that you involve something very specific like high fantasy you there is just naturally a, a good portion of audience that you're going to cut out oh of course and then what i'm saying is i think you because you're right yes uh, you know lord of the rings game of the thrones all that sort of stuff is big but the biggest thing there is is you are taking something that is loved something that might not be like if this had just been a straight uh high fantasy type movie with no modernization no you know, real world type environment and stuff going on. I don't think I'd feel the same way, but I think they, I think they are still taking a bit of a gamble by trying to create or they, or at least they were, obviously it's very clearly if those numbers are at all accurate or even uh, a quarter accurate, they've, they've been very successful with the viewership, which is disaster because again, they're not on the same revenue platform as, as, any other movie would be um, in terms of normal distribution, I, sh I should say. Um, so, you know, I, I do think it's, it, but you're right. Like there is that whole thing, which I'm sure that is probably somebody in those meetings that was like, Hey, look guys, I know this sounds crazy, but ladies and gentlemen, you know, game of Thrones is on its way out and it's a, it's a huge, huge thing and you know this just happened so i mean i i could see where the arguments would have come up in the in the the you know conversations that probably helped get this greenlit it's just yeah i i don't know it's just interesting because i do feel like this was still kind of a little bit of a of a blind gamble for them that if those numbers are correct which uh again you're right netflix doesn't release them so i i'm not sure how they quantify those at all but uh that's absolutely wonderful for everyone involved in this project i would say yeah no and uh, i'd say that that's certainly the response netflix wanted too yeah exactly uh so just a couple of things i saw about this max landis sold the script for bright for 3.5 million uh he stated that he turned down an additional one million dollars for the sale of this script because he wanted david air to direct it he had written the script specifically for air Hmm. Uh, Intriguing. The second collaboration between Will Smith, Ike Barinholtz, Jay Hernandez, and David Ayer and after Suicide Squad, because all all of them were invo in, involved in Suicide Squad. Uh, Joel Edgerton's third cop movie. His first was Felony, and the second is Black Mass. And that, that's pretty much it. That's all I wanted to say. But yeah. Uh, that's the, I mean, I am very interested in seeing what happens in the sequel, where it's going to go, uh, you know, what, what's going to be involved. The one thing I do have to say about the movie is the fact that they set up the, um, the fact that they're, uh, what is it? The FBI agent Edgar Ramirez plays talks about how, uh, brights are always elves except for one in a million there. It's a human and, uh, yes you know yeah. they set that up and then it's, it's kind of like oh well that means it's going to be uh will smith's character and honestly i thought that i thought that by the time we got to that point there would be another twist and it was going to be joel edgerton's character of jacoby like because you hear that it's one in a million that uh, a human could be a bright well it's got to be even it's got to be one in a billion that it could be an orc and it would just be that better of a you know that that bigger of a thing that uh the, that that orc would come would uh would be the next bright that Jacoby was a bright right uh however you know the way that they set it up for it to be a quote-unquote prophecy Jacoby is already a part of the prophecy as he is the chosen orc to be something I forget that's I mean maybe that's that's one of the ways that shows it's not that great of a movie that I can't re even remember what the, the big thing for his character was at the end of the movie um because he ends up coming back to life and stuff like that. 
Yeah, he ends up coming back to life, but he was also an unblooded orc, which means that, you know, he was kind of an outcast and wasn't really viewed as a true orc, which there was a, um, the orc back 2000 years ago that I think ended the war. Uh, he references him a couple of times how he was a farmer and he was an unblooded orc and he stopped the war. So they're, they're definitely kind of alluding to the fact that potentially in the sequel, we're going to see a massive full scale war that, Jacoby could very well be responsible for bringing an end to that by uniting the orcs and uh, the other races to unify to stop this war potentially. But, and, and the thing that I see it as is that this, this it won't be a full on war like you would see in Lord of the Rings. It's going to be a more of a, a race war or you know an allegory for bringing the races together. It's 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 not a you know, one side versus one side with with swords and guns. I think it's going to be more of a, you know, quelching civil war, if best way to put it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you know, there's obviously they've, they've set it up to play out that way. There's a lot of uh, racial tension through all, the entire movie, through all of the, the, the three races that are at least showed in the movie. I mean, Nobody seems to be worried about the fairies, and I, I doubt the fairies are going to mount a giant army to fly <laughs> in and start murking all of the other uh, three races. But, but yeah, it definitely is leading the tension to that, and you know that that kind of leads some very interesting uh, dynamics for a film as well. Because fair today versus what warfare was, even you know back in as far back as like the revolutionary war or whatever but you know like warfare nowadays is is very much centered and, and it continues to go this way but it's centered around information and, and so i think it would be very fascinating if you kind of saw this very dynamic cold slash information war happening in the next movie um, obviously it's an action film there's going to have to be some degree of of combat that happens um but i think it would be very interesting to see it approached uh very you know with a very realistic kind of of what we know as as warfare today but with a high fantasy setting i think that still lends itself very well to another uh trope exploring trope bending breaking type of of mechanism as well as continuing to kind of keep this uh magnifying glass on our own uh, societies and and kind of what we're doing uh in today's world you know what i mean yeah no I, I i exactly i get i get exactly what you're saying uh so yeah that that was bright um i hope i hope other people have watched it that listen to us and uh, have two cents to throw in there too because we'd love to we'd love to discuss it more um it 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 doesn't seem to have been as divisive divisive as other movies that, that have come out in the last couple months, but it, it definitely is a movie where people are falling on on one side or the other and not not so much down the middle of the road, I think. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does feel that way. Um one quick question though. Where where was the place that, that generated those numbers? Uh the Nielsen's? The Nielsen ratings? That's that's what they that was them that did the ratings for the netflix thing right so you know i i i'm i'm sure you know about neosens a little bit uh most most of them they you know in bigger markets they have a a box that you attach to your satellite provider or uh cable provider and it records whatever it is that you're watching if you don't have satellite or cable it will also record uh, your off-air antenna, whatever you're watching. So the idea is that it attaches to your TV in some way, and it will watch what it 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 recognizes whatever you're watching. So if you have it attached to your TV and then you also watch Netflix, it can I, I imagine with the permission of Netflix, it it tells you what uh you're watching or yeah, it records what you're watching, not records, but uh writes down i don't know how to it say records it. the views of you watching it right. doesn't record like the actual movie the content yeah it. yeah yeah uh, well my next question was this is uh because i'm just very fascinated by this because you know obviously it's 
kind of been a big thing as to what Netflix's numbers are and they don't release it. Do they have any other data for other Netflix programs, like any other Netflix originals? Do they have any data for that that you know of? Uh, I, I have since closed the article, but I, do, I did see that it said something about The Crown and Stranger Things as being the most watched shows on Netflix. Uh, and maybe hmm. Bright isn't, uh, isn't higher than those, but it is the most watched movie. On Netflix. Sure. No, that's totally understandable. No, I was just curious for my own interest as to whether or not they th- this is kind of their first uh, thing that they're doing, or if they've if they've been monitoring Netflix numbers for a while. Because it's you know because because that's always the thing, right? Is like, well, how does things like Netflix and Amazon justify putting money into something, or how do they pick a project, or how do they deem a project successful or not? And and obviously they're they're gonna go by viewership, sure. But it's just always fascinating when it's kind of that uh man behind the curtain, so to speak, and you never have that access to know what those numbers are. It's just very fascinating to try to figure out how they uh how they do things over there. So that's all I was just curious about that. Yeah, and I, I, I get that too. And I I think the realization that I've come to lately is that, and is that not only are they, I mean, obviously for a system like that, they get our, the money from our subscription. So, you know, and, and I think, I think as of today, right. there's, they announced that Netflix is going to go up in price again. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't read the article. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it. But I think that, uh, you know, they also do a little bit of data mining to the point where uh, person X watches this, this, and this, and this. You find a company that would then want to sell said product to person X. And that's the way they, they make money also. So uh, the, if they if they spend money, if they spend $90 million on a, a Will Smith movie, that hopefully means that they guarantee that a certain amount of people will either buy a new subscription or uh, tune in so that they can record what it is that those people or yeah, they, they can yeah, find the information of the viewership, like the analytical data of which people are actually watching this movie to then give to other. And, and you know, that's, that's uh, I think kind of uh, what's, uh, we've talked about this, I think, briefly on on here before. But Movie Pass—that's kind of like what their big thing was—is they were starting to try and push data mining and and guaranteeing that they could get certain people into a movie, uh, provided their service was allowed to continue. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think that's would make sense if if Netflix was doing a similar situation, you know? Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's kind of the only way that. Uh, online subscription, whatever is going to make any kind of money, really. So, uh, I mean, not any kind of money, but the kind of money that they they want to make. Yeah, no, it's completely. So, the other movie, uh, if you're okay with moving on, that I watched yeah. over the winter that really affected me, and I mean affected me in in uh, a good way, uh, was The Greatest Showman which I really was not expecting to enjoy all that much. One, I'm just not a fan of musicals in general. There's, there's really maybe only a few that I've actually in, enjoyed in my life. And uh, the songs, the original songs in this movie just really hit a spot with me. I think it's because of the, you know, the idea of, a group of outcasts coming together and just wanting to uh, put their hearts out there and show people who they can be kind of, I feel like that's what podcasters are. <laughs> I mean, to a much lesser degree than, than uh, you know, going out and putting on a carnival or a show or whatever you want to say. But, you know, these are, it's people that are really exposing themselves to a, a wide mass audience. And it, I, I, I want to say that's probably why it affected me. Yeah, and I and I think it's I mean because you I remember I think I saw you tweet about it or or post something on uh, the Geek Elite Radio Facebook I don't remember which it was but uh, you were kind of like saying like that you were just kind of blown away by it what what after like right I think I think it was like right after you got out of watching it in the theater and uh, and that 
it totally caught you off guard and that it was this really wonderful movie. And the thing that jumped out at me immediately was uh, when I first kind of saw this movie getting marketed and all that stuff, I remembered that uh, I believe it was the lyricist of La La Land had actually written most of, if not all of the music for The Greatest Showman. So uh, my thought was, well, you know, there's going to be a ton of people that love La La Land because it's a new original modern uh, musical, which is something that's kind of been a little bit lackluster. If, if you're a musical fan, there hasn't been a lot of new musicals that have gotten created in the last, you know, five to 10 years, perhaps. And so I thought, well, here's another great opportunity for people who love musicals, who really enjoyed La La Land to kind of rally and get behind another, you know, new musical uh, that's, that's being done as a, as a feature film. And uh, I got to say, I, I went and watched this and uh, I still don't really see anybody talking about it. I, I, I definitely don't see anybody coming out of the woodwork like they did with, uh, with La La Land because, you know, people kind of lost their poo for the lack <laughs> of a better word over, over La La Land, but there really wasn't that many people watching it. And so I was surprised because I was like, well, Mitch was like so blown away by this movie and then I went and watched it, and I I got totally drawn in and captivated from the very opening number. I was like, "This movie's amazing!" And and like even after I was leaving the theater, I I still had the songs uh, in my head, and and like I like was so driven that I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go find the soundtrack to this and listen to the soundtrack." Like over the course of the next few days, so I, I just I don't know. Like I'm not I, I I'm totally surprised that there are not more people kind of jumping on this hype bandwagon for this movie because it seems like it would be a shoe in for that to happen but it, apparently it isn't i mean i think we're seeing uh at least on, on at the award season because the golden globes gave it a nomination for best original song uh in a in a in a in a feature and i think you're right that it's it's amazing that there isn't more people talking about this movie. Uh, I think before it came out, I, I saw a few trailers and, and you and I are the kind of people that actually go out seeking trailers. So yeah. it's, uh, it's amazing that anybody went and saw it. If we only saw a few. So I don't know why it didn't get pushed more, especially since uh, you're right. It, I, I do believe it's the same lyricist as La La Land, which I guess, I don't know if La La Land just has had the, um, the benefit of being directed by Damien Giselle Giselle. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, who obviously had struck it big with, um, the drummer whiplash. Movie. whiplash. Thank you. Before that. You're welcome. And it, and this one is directed by a uh, director by the name of Michael, Michael Gracie, Gracie, which I have never, it's basically heard. his directorial debut. I think the only other thing he's ever done was a, a short film, uh, but a lot of people should keep an eye on him because he's signed on to be the director of the Naratu movie, which uh, has a huge uh, mega fan base of people that love that uh, animated uh, show. So a, a lot of people should be paying attention to to this director here. Um, yeah, it sounds. Like, yeah, it looks like he has a lot more, or not a lot more, but he has more credits in the visual effects field, which I find that to be pretty interesting. That you know more of these up and coming directors are coming from the visual effects uh, visual effects field just like Tim Miller who directed Deadpool came from that yep uh, field so uh you know that's obviously a place to keep an eye out now yeah and uh you know i th i think there's a lot of people cuz i mean i remember being that way you know i always wanted to direct movies but i i looked at visual effects because it was directly related to another part of the film world that i loved and it, it seems like a more tangible way to enter into the film realm in terms of a professional career. And so it, it is surprising that, you know, he would come out and, and get this shot because this is an $84 million budget movie. Uh, it's got Hugh Jackman. Um, I mean, Hugh Jackman's obviously the largest name probably associated with this, but Zac Efron's fairly well-known. Zendaya's becoming a very... Um, well, even Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams has a very good uh, 
you know kind of rapport with people and has a pretty good fan base um, i mean yeah she's i i've only been you know and it's only obvious or evident in her performances as of late in movies that you know every almost every time she's on screen she's going to get an award for something and oh yeah she i mean she's absolutely incredible i mean even even though i didn't really like manchester by the sea like she was an incredible part of that movie and uh, I know that even with Zendaya, I know there's a lot of people that are going to be kind of like upset with some of the stuff that went on with Spider-Man and all that sort of stuff. But I think she's a, a great up and coming actor as well. And, I, and I'm, I'm I, she's obviously getting a lot of work, too. So I, I think there is a good amount of, of people that are in this movie that the draw, like the star draw shouldn't have been that much of an issue. So it, it does kind of seem to become more of a question of was this a marketing problem? You know, okay, so I think one of the biggest controversies with this movie is that the the story is about a real person, P.T. Barnum. Now, yeah. Barnum's, uh, Barnum and Bailey's Circus, obviously earlier th- last year, shut down uh, because of the mistreatment of animals. And, you know, for the longest time, it's it's been a subject that has upset a lot of people you know circuses in general is are not the the uh are not a good place for animals because they're not supposed to be that way they're supposed to be you know free they're supposed to roam they aren't supposed to be caged and and you know uh hurt and abused in that way and i i would definitely say that i don't think i don't even know if there's any circuses still in function now but uh, by the towards the end of it, they were probably doing better with the animals than they ever have before. But still, it, it doesn't excuse it. And I think that might be the reason that this didn't get enough advertisement. Obviously, if a studio, whichever studio put this out, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, wanted to make this movie, they went to go ahead of making this movie. The, you would think they they would understand that beforehand and would want to put as much money into the advertisement as they could. But I, I, you know, honestly, show business is the the business side of show business just baffles me most of the time. Yeah, no, I, I, I agreed, and I, I think it's funny you just said the show business thing, and I just remember that wasn't even in the movie. Like it was a big part of the trailer where he's like, "Oh, show business." I don't think I've ever heard that before, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's because I just invented it right now." <laughs> and I was like, kind of waiting for that moment, and it, it wasn't in the movie. It was. Um, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was when they were at the bar. When yeah, they're at the bar, but he's convincing he never, Zac Efron he to. Said it. Yeah, he did. I did, it was not in the cut I watched. Uh, okay, um, I would I would swear by that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know what happened. How I would have missed that, but I didn't. I definitely did not see that part. Um, but in speaking of that sequence, that sequence, uh, the the choreographing I thought was very interesting and, and a little bit different than what you kind of traditionally see. Um, in musicals or, or rather the setting, you know, they're in a bar and they're using everything from the shot glasses and, uh, you know, the drinks themselves and all that sort of stuff to create another element to the music and to the choreography. Um, the other scene that really stood out at me a lot was the scene between Zendaya and, uh, and uh, Zac Efron, where they're doing all the crazy acrobatic stuff uh, with the uh, ropes for the trapeze, which, led me so much so to go out and tweet that I felt that uh, Zendaya had better Spider-Man moves than Peter Parker, <laughs> which I still stand by. No, uh, I, I would say yeah, that so I did I, love her in this movie more than I did enjoy her character in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. And uh, I see, yeah, you're right. She is an upcoming star. I mean, I, obviously she has been on uh, some Disney Channel show or Nickelodeon show for the longest time. I don't know. I don't, I don't really keep up on those things, but... I know that's the world she came from. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what else she's going to do in the feature film area. Uh, I do have to say this, though. It's funny. Oh, yeah. Funny that you bring that that up about the, the bar scene with uh, with Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron when they're, when they're singing and dancing together. And all I could think when I was watching that scene was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that, you know, Zac Efron's actually really decent in this whole dancing thing. Because, I mean, I know that uh, Hugh Jackman came uh, also comes from a musical background of both stage and film, you know, with Les Mis and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. and then it dawned on me, like, 
probably 30 seconds to a minute after I said that to myself in my head of Zac Efron being good at this. It's like, that's where he started his career too in High School Musical. High like, School Musical, Obviously, yeah. I never watched any of those movies, but I was just, I was, I, I know, I mean, I know they exist and that's where he came from, but all the movies that I've ever watched with Zac Efron, is, he's just playing a normal guy. He's not doing musicals and dancing around and stuff like that. So I was, I was really, I was first surprised by the fact how good how good he was and then second about how dumb i was for not remembering that oh i mean i went through the exact same thing i was just like he walked out and he was singing i was like wow like he's actually pretty good at singing and and he's he's not doing bad with pretty well with the rhythm part of it too and then you know i kind of had that moment of realization as well that oh yeah he was in high school musical and he started off doing musicals too so i did the exact same thing that you did um and i obviously i've never seen those films either I, I think we were aged out of them before they came out probably we we certainly were not the target demographic of those movies when they were released no um and i don't i don't i don't know that i don't think i i don't think there's any strong uh motivation for me to go back and watch those movies either i don't think no but uh yeah so but he, but he certainly did a, a a really good job and you know there's there's parts in there where you feel for his character as well and um I feel like the overall message of this movie and, and kind of like celebrating diversity of all different kinds uh, and, and different kinds of people of, you know, things like that, shape, sizes, you know, race, all that sort of stuff. I thought the overlying message of this movie I felt was also superior to that of La La Land. So I, again, I just, I'm a little surprised that this, and it ends on a note of, of hope, Right. Right. Whereas obviously La La Land does not do that does in any not. shape or form. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't know, it's just fascinating because I really felt like this would have done a much better thing than what it did. So, yeah. No, I, yeah, and I, I totally agree. Like anytime I see anybody on one of my social media feeds that uh, says they went and saw it and they loved it, I just, I can't praise the movie enough and, and want to like just talk to them about it. So I'm, I'm, I am super ecstatic that you also enjoyed this movie because, like I said, it's not the type of movie that I normally go and see or normally enjoy. So the fact that this really affected me or you know uh, spoke to me in a certain way uh, really did a lot for me. I guess is the best way to put it. And uh, it, I mean, I think I mean obviously it's got its flaws too, just like every a lot of movies sure. do. Um, I would have used michelle williams a lot more uh if i had any say in it which i don't um because she is such a powerhouse actress uh the the stuff with uh the singer the 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 lady that's supposed to have like this this golden voice played by rebecca ferguson i believe yeah yeah um you know it it's all Jenny Jenny Lind, I think was her character name. Yes. Jenny Lind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it obviously it's part of history, but when it was introduced in the movie, it just felt so uh I don't know, contrived. You, you used that word earlier. Uh I'm trying to yeah. think of something else that might better fit it, but it it was it was so expected, I guess, you know, it, it and when when he kind of you can kind of see him falling in love with her it it makes me upset which obviously that's probably what we're supposed to feel we we don't want him to mess up his life and this beautiful family that he's made for himself uh but then as soon as uh you know she kisses him on stage and uh th that whole part of the story just kind of goes away real quick and it's just like well you set this up and you you had this payoff but you didn't really let it get resolved well enough for me maybe that was it was a time constraint thing because they wanted to keep it at an hour and 45 minutes uh it, or not i don't know but it, it really felt like it was rushed that whole part of the story yeah i mean his his overall uh you know kind of hitting rock bottom is definitely rushed yes. uh, in comparison to what i think it should have been and and certainly into what it is in a lot of other films and, and you're right, I think if they had found a way to let that whole element breathe, you know, not just the moment that it happened, but that whole dynamic of, 
you know, he's this rags to riches, you know, individual, but then now he's on the cusp of, of losing everything because of, of decisions he, that he made and kind of turning his back on his family, both by a lot. Well, not yeah, His daughters and his wife. So his, and then, you know, his family that he's created with inside of, of his circus, there, there is such a, a quick path to hitting the bottom and an even faster return to glory that I do agree with you. I felt, I do feel the movie could have been stronger if they had let that whole type of, of thing just have a little bit more time. Uh, and so I do completely agree with you on that. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. You know, you went out and bought that soundtrack. I don't know why I haven't done that yet. I I don't know. Maybe it's just in this uh, this digital era. I don't. I never. I don't think about <laughs> how I I should go and buy music anymore. So, uh, I I am I'm, I'm positive I could probably find it on since I don't have an iPhone. Uh, Google Play. I I would assume. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you could find it on Google Play. I'm sure you could find it on Spotify or YouTube. Yeah. I, in all there honesty, you go. I'm more than positive. That you could find it for free, I, I wouldn't doubt. So, uh, anybody that has an opinion on The Greatest Showman and would love to share it with us, did you agree? Did you disagree? We'd love to talk to you about it. Um, or Bright, either one. Or Bright, yeah. Like I said earlier, if you have a, an opinion on Bright, we'd love to hear that as well. So, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Richard's also on Twitter as? At Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. The rest of the Geek Elite Radio is uh, at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Uh, Richard can also be found on his Twitch channel, which uh, I believe you right now are doing Sundays. Yeah, I do Sundays at uh, 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, we actually, last Sunday, I I, I, I don't know. It, last Sunday got out of hand. Uh, I, I ended up streaming for almost eight hours, uh, which was insane. And uh, I finished up Mass Effect 3. So, uh, you know, this coming Sunday, we will be starting uh, our, our first uh, day of Mass Effect Andromeda. So going to be diving into that but that is twitch.tv slash rycohen one so r-i-c-o-w-n and the number one definitely go and check them out there and uh you know keep a eye out on our facebook page and our website and our twitter for uh upcoming new ideas new podcasts and uh new meetings i don't know a group settings things that we're going to try and get it so that you know people can uh interact with more uh of each other but until next time this is the mitch and rich show on the geekly radio network saying always remember to geek out geek out we now return you to your regularly scheduled program